0: Hey, welcome to episode two of Berlin Startup Radio. Before we get started, I just wanted to say thanks for the response to episode one. Uh, I had some really great feedback. And yeah, off the back of that, I've got a a great lineup of people to to record for you in in future episodes. So I'm really excited to do that. If you are listening out there and you still want to get involved, or uh, if you're doing something interesting, then please get in touch. Um, I would love to either get you on the show or or get your input in some way. So contact me on Twitter. My username is uh, MrEd, that's M-R underscore E-D. Just shoot me a message and and we can get in touch. So in this episode of Berlin Startup Radio, I'm talking to Bryony, who's a co-founder of a company called T-Dispatch. T-Dispatch is a fleet management platform for taxi and transport fleets, this is a really relevant topic right now and, and I think you'll see from the conversation that uh, things in the taxi industry uh, particularly are, are changing really quickly at the moment primarily due to the the impact of companies like Uber which are really shaking up the industry. You see a lot in the news about uh, how Uber is fighting a lot of battles with uh, laws and, and legislation in various markets around the world so... Uh, to hear the input from somebody in the same industry is actually pretty fascinating. I think Brian is a really interesting person to talk to as a founder. Um, she definitely doesn't have a uh, what you would call a conventional background as a as a founder of a tech company, and I think because of that, she has a lot of insights that perhaps you wouldn't get from from other founders. Um, she's super passionate about what she's doing. And I think there's some really great things that come out of the conversation between us. So yeah, as always, let me know what you think on Twitter and uh, enjoy episode two. So, I'm with Bryony, who's uh, co founder and CEO of T Dispatch. And I'm sitting here in the office, and it's kind of nice, actually. Actually, it's maybe the nicest office that I've been to in Berlin. Yeah, so we win. <laughs> congratulations on that front. Um, yeah, thanks for having me here. and You're It's welcome. really cool that, that you can talk about um, what you guys are doing. I think, from what I've heard already, the, the company is pretty interesting, and the product that you have is certainly really really relevant today and yes it's
1: it's quite a hot topic right now yeah
0: so then let's let's start with with the product itself and uh, if so I don't have a clue about t-dispatch let's pretend what what do you guys do and and why should I care about it
1: well you should care about it if you are a transport company such as taxis or limousines because what we do is we develop a software for booking and dispatching So um, how I would describe it to investors would be perhaps a a global dispatch platform for local transport fleets and also for on-demand services. So at the moment, we're kind of moving a little bit more into things like um, deliveries because they have the same kind of requirements.
0: Mm. Cool. So you, you, you kind of started off not in the delivery space, but that's something you're kind of moving into.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of an interesting story how we started because, I mean, I've got quite a creative background. So when people hear that I'm now heading a transport technology company it's a bit of an unusual turn (laughs) but um, we started off doing actually a consumer facing website in London called TikTok Taxi Um, and it was kind of the the UK's first virtual booking TikTok Taxi yeah well we thought (laughs) this was back in 2009 2010 and at the time we were looking for a concept we we designed a couple of websites in my last company for taxi companies and we were like well everyone's booking flights and trains online but not taxis Hmm. why is that (laughs) so we kind of we made a website where you could book a cab in london and then sent it to one of about 50 different fleets Hmm. Um, and what we found in that process was that a lot of them weren't very good service because they were not using any kind of dispatch software so that's, that's yeah. how it began.
0: I think, it, the, I guess, I mean, I, I don't have anywhere near as much knowledge of you of the industry, but it seems like the taxi industry is one that is right now being kind of dragged, kicking and screaming into the present. And
1: that's a good way to describe it, yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, Uber's the name on everyone's lips, and... It's kind of a good thing for us, because when we started a couple of years ago, there was a lot of resistance from the traditional fleets, you know, they, they were like, mm. we don't need this newfangled technology. Yeah. But now they've woken up and they've realized that if they don't innovate, they will die. Yeah. Um, I think the, the biggest scenario is in San Francisco, where I heard that in the last two years, the taxi markets shrunk by like 65%. Yeah. Um, whereas Uber went from, that's an interesting fact, actually, they... The total addressable market for booking a car in San Francisco used to be 120 million dollars. Okay. Now, in the last year, Uber did 400 million dollars. Wow. So they've really increased that market.
0: Okay.
1: And people who weren't booking cars before are now booking cars because it's so easy.
0: Yeah. And I mean, obviously, that's that's over in the U.S. Would you expect that to to really drive things here as well in Europe, or, or are you seeing evidence of that right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously Uber are an unstoppable machine who will go and put their <laughs> are, fingers in every pie.
0: Fighting a lot of wars. Definitely.
1: They are, yeah. They're um, they're ballsy. I'll give them that. They yeah, are, yeah. and I mean, they've got great technology. Um, on the one hand, it's good because they're kind of opening up the market to people using that kind of UX, um, mm. and of course, kicking our clients up the arse and making them realise that they have to compete. Um, but yeah, everyone's got their own solutions as well It's you know in here in Germany they've got my taxi in London. You would either use Halo for a, a black cab or you use cabby for mini Yeah. but I mean if you just t- search taxi in the app store there's like over a thousand taxi apps so yeah yeah
0: so then are your clients mainly guys who are kind of looking at this huge explosion of, of online the online taxi booking business and thinking. Oh crap, we need to do something about this ourselves. Yeah.
1: yeah, they all want to be part of it, but our tool is very much um, for the back-end, for the management of the fleet. Um, we don't actually have any consumer-facing brands, so you couldn't go into the App Store and, and book a cab through the T-Dispatch app. Mm. We, we don't have that. Um, part of the reason being is that we don't want to be, first of all, a marketing company, and mm. a huge part of your budget would just go into generating mm. leads. Don't want, sure. to, want Don't want to get in the argument with Uber. Like <laughs> I'll step aside. Um, they're pretty good
0: at wars, I think. They're so pretty good. I
1: wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't want to take them on just yet.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but what we do do is we give white label tools to our clients so that if if they've got a lot of corporate leads, for example, that they don't want to lose yeah. um, because of not having the right technology, at least then they have their own branded apps for iPhone and Android and also a website.
0: Okay, so um, do, you, do you have apps? Do you guys actually build mobile apps for them? Or? Mm-hmm,
1: we okay. do, yeah. So when you sign up to T-Dispatch, if you sign up online, if, mm-hmm. say you're a mini cap company, um, the first thing you do is you get a login for the cloud-based system. Um, in the old days, dispatch software used to all be um, hardware installations on individual workstations. So that was the first innovation while we came into the market. Mm-hmm. But you would get the dispatch system, which is an online admin panel, yeah. and then you would also get white-label... Apps, which there's an extra charge for, but then we'll do the design and branding and publish that for you and the maintenance. And then there's driver apps as well, so iPhone and Android for the driver to actually receive the jobs in the car, which is similar to what you might see with MyTaxi or Uber on that end.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and how much of a like a bespoke process is that when you're when you're building this thing? Um,
1: not too much. We try to steer clear of too much bespoke work, and that's a lesson that we learnt in the first year of T-Dispatch. Um, we At the beginning, when we were just trying to grab as many you know, customers as possible, we were really doing a lot of bespoke work, um, so you know, we would build a particular feature or a particular dispatch algorithm for a client, um, and it's, now we have to be very careful to make sure that it's going to be a generally beneficial feature that we build that's going to serve a lot of people, not just specific to one yeah. business model, otherwise that's a waste of resources.
0: I guess that's a tendency when you're at really early stage trying to win clients to to just like bend over backwards and, yeah. and do everything. Yeah. is that something? And
1: also because we only had a few years industry experience from doing TikTok Taxi, we really <clears throat> were learning a lot from our clients as well. So what I learned after a while is every single one of them will come to you and say, oh, "I've been in the business twenty years. You want to do this?" And you yeah. think, "Wow, wow, you're an expert. This must be the right way to do it." But um, everyone thinks they're an expert in that industry. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so how do you how do you kind of close your ears to that and, and try, I, I guess what you're trying to do is, is what's right and what you think is relevant as yeah. a product.
1: I mean, obviously we have to research the way that the market is going, you know, what the current trends are, what our competition's doing. Mm. Um, and then you have to take all of your clients' feedback and analyze it and see where they're, you know, you might have one client that shouts the loudest, but there's 20 other clients asking for the same thing. Mm. So of course you wanna you want to do the one that's gonna serve the most people. Yeah. But we've got this never ending roadmap <laughs> for features. <laughs>
0: Yeah, as does everybody, I think. It's, yeah. It's that, it's that thing of, you know, if you take all the stuff that you could build and you want to build at some point, it usually stretches off into the distance. But I guess the really hard thing there is deciding what's relevant to build now and and, and to, to prioritise that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was flabbergasted today because I had a phone call with... Um a big company in the UK who do national taxi management services, and they wanted to talk to us about integrating. And they were like, "Yeah, actually, we've got a gap coming up in our in our roadmap." And I was like, "What?"
0: <laughs> who who has a gap in a roadmap? <laughs> I'm so that's jealous. It's not, not something that exists. But there must be some strange. That company's been going, I think, like that.
1: fifteen years. So maybe okay. maybe in fifteen years from now, then we'll have a gap.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just I just can't see how that could possibly ever happen. But no. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's talk about Berlin. So you you guys came from London. Yep. Why? Why did you come here? And, and
1: just felt like it. No, not <laughs> really. Um No, I, we founded the company in London in early 2012, um, and at the time I still had my last company, so it was kind of a side project. Yeah. And we decided, right, we're going to need some cash behind this. We need some money to really get it off the ground. So we applied for the program called Seedcamp. Um,
0: sure. Which is pretty huge, right? It's quite I mean. a big
1: one, yeah. And that was the first thing we'd ever applied for. So you basically had to fill out a, a business plan online and submit some slides and the description of what you're doing. And we had a very, very early beta product um, already at the time, mm-hmm. which had kind of been built as a back end to TikTok Taxi, you know, to dispatch the jobs. Okay,
0: was, uh, that, was that in use with, by clients or was it really just like a proof of concept?
1: Proof of concept, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we hadn't launched at that stage. Um, so that was in May 2012 and we got through, so we got an email saying, well, you're in the finals and the finals happened to be in Berlin. So a few days later, I went to Berlin and as my first ever pitch, I was in this room with 100 investors and business mentors and VCs and I was wow. like, whoa, that's... <laughs> I mean, it's okay. like Dragon's Den times yeah. 100. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, and, and that was your first application for any, yep. any kind of proper funding, so... And I got it. How, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just trying to think, like, uh, I mean, did you learn any... Big lessons through that.
1: Definitely, yeah. There's
0: there's a ton of guys out there now that are applying for, for similar things and yeah. trying to get into incubator. There's a
1: lot more accelerator and incubator programs like opening up. Yeah. yeah. Um.
0: So I mean, what would you what would you say were like your, your key learnings from that? I mean, obviously, you didn't fail at any point, so it's no, no. But we did.
1: I we did end up signing to not ideal terms with okay. the first investor. I think that was a big lesson learned because we were very wet around the ears, and to be honest. Back then, um, although I'd run one company before, that was really a small um, web agency, so there wasn't really huge scaling opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't describe it as a startup. So this was my first startup, really, and it was like being thrown in the deep end and it's just like, go! Yeah. And it was it was terrifying, but brilliant. I mean, luckily I, I naturally really enjoy presenting and networking, so that part wasn't so terrifying for me as I think it was for some of the more introvert kind of tech founders. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I learned a lot really quickly. I had to learn everything from the jargon. I didn't know what an angel was. Mm. And I was like, what? They're out of the Bible, aren't they? But no, no, it's the guy that gives you money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but it's almost... I, I've heard a lot from from people that, especially when they talk about their first experience with something like that and the, or their first startup, that often that kind of blind slightly naive enthusiasm can can get you a lot further than than you could often get if you have a lot more experience because yeah
1: i mean i think experience also makes you a little bit jaded in some yeah. situations and new founders are like excited puppies yeah. so for me it was no challenge whatsoever to convey the passion behind the product and behind the concept yeah. you know because it was genuine um and obviously the investors believed because we believed in it hmm. um but yeah that, that's something that really it really is important and i think I think having someone with my background, which is quite different to a traditional tech founder's background, is good because a lot of founders are solely tech and then when they have to go and do something like stand on the stage and present or you know, go into a boardroom with 20 men in suits who are all staring at you
0: yeah.
1: and make your product sound great, it can be very intimidating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. so was it just you at that time uh, as, as a single founder or
1: no no I had um, two co-founders who okay. both came from my last company so we were already working together
0: okay so you, you, you had experience with them you didn't just yeah so
1: I'd, I'd known both of them for a couple of years before yeah yeah and I'd, I'd worked with them yeah. so
0: okay so then you, you got the funding you came to Berlin it uh, was, was that purely just because you, you came here for the uh, for the kind of Application and the finals um, here? or
1: No, it's actually, so we didn't actually win the finals of SeedCamp. It was one of the investors in the oh, audience okay, who okay. saw us and liked us um, and followed up. And actually we ended up getting a better deal than we would have got with SeedCamp. Okay. Like 25 grand more than they were giving out at the time. Um, but yeah, so he had a co-working space. It's not exactly an incubator. It's more like a uh, company builder, they call it. Yeah. Called Foundfair, found fair. Um, and they had like a, a co-working space where you could rent um, the space and then also get like mentorship and coaching from them or access to their resources, um, but most importantly, access to their investor network. so it was actually through them that we went on to get our largest investment from high tech of half a million
0: okay okay
1: yeah, so when they when they said come to berlin that was that was a condition of getting the investment yeah yeah so they said we will give you this money if you come here and we were like um okay (laughs) (laughs) no one else was throwing money at us at the time so and
0: and had you kind of had any experience of the scene here in Berlin before I had
1: never been to Germany in my life oh okay and I'd studied French in school had I known I would have studied German I
0: I studied French and Latin in school as well yeah me too was a fat lot of use to me when I moved here as well yeah and how's your German now
1: I speak a bit German, but it's not so good. <laughs>
0: okay, it's about the same as mine, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So I'm I'm fine if I'm in a restaurant or buying a train ticket or something, but yeah. if you try and go deep and in intellectual, you will lose me.
0: <laughs> um, so random question: Do you do you think that it's uh, this is completely off topic? When it comes to being in Berlin and and moving to a different country, do you think it's it's kind of your duty to to learn a language? Um,
1: I think it is up to an extent. I don't think it's a duty to become fluent, but I think it is to be, say enough to be able to be polite. Mm. Um, so, you know, I th- I'm, I'm of that thinking that where, even if I go on holiday for a week somewhere, I will at least learn how to say, please, thank you, hello, goodbye, that kind of very basic, yeah. because it's really appreciated. And I think yeah. it's a little bit ignorant to just go and shout in English at somebody yeah. in their country. Actually, I've, it- I've seen Brits do that and it's embarrassing. <laughs>
0: I think it's yeah I think it's a British thing actually yeah I think so <laughs> um, I mean one thing I find is, and a point that I always argue is that we seem to as British people have a disadvantage in that we really don't get the same kind of uh, language schooling um, in the UK that mm, yeah. especially what, what they would have here in Germany or other parts of Europe
1: and yeah because you're you're the best at learning when you're really young and um, um, they yeah. start us off quite late I mean yeah. there's no compulsory language class until you're at high school so you're 11 nearly yeah. 12 yeah
0: um, and uh, I mean everybody's come back to that is always well it's fine it doesn't matter you speak English and everybody speaks English so you don't need to learn another language but I, I really I really see that as a disadvantage actually
1: yeah I love languages and I would have loved to have had the opportunity to be brought up bilingual for example mm. that's why I'm going to try and make my husband foreign <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so I don't know it's it's something that I always argue a lot with with people when, when I see them there with their three or four languages and I think I get so the, jealous. the the skill of learning a language is is really key. Actually, I don't think it matters so much what it is in the beginning, but if you can kind of pick up a language really quickly, then mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, um, actually,
1: my co-founder Yoni, um, he's from Finland, and he he worked for a long time in Asia, hmm. so his, he he met his wife in China, and his little girl, I think she's three, and she can already speak. Um, so. Chinese or Mandarin, and Finnish, and English, and mm. Spanish. And so
0: Finnish is a crazy language. I actually the the previous episode I was I was talking to the guys from tabla which I think I mentioned to you. And, yeah. Um, yeah, Marco, the co-founder there, is also Finnish.
1: A lot of them about.
0: <laughs> uh, I think we were discussing the other day how many different words they have for for snow. And actually, there's like a blog dedicated to all of the Finnish words that describe snow. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, he's like at about 140 and counting. <laughs> and and you, you go through this list and it's like, the first word is like this word that means like snow that is freshly fallen, but there has been a slight rise in temperature. So the top part is slightly melted. And it's <laughs> And there is one word for that, you know? And yeah, it's, it's a really funny, strange language. And I, I think if you try to learn it, you'll probably spend about five years just, just getting to basics. but.
1: I wonder if they have that many words for things that aren't in Finland because I mean they see quite a lot of snow there.
0: What like? Like beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Sun>. Palm tree. <laughs> Daylight. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'm 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 digressing. Um, would
1: yeah, you like some more shoulder?:
0: I would like some Weissmunder. Okay, thank I'm going you. over there. Away from the wine. We're being we're being rather classy today, and instead of drinking uh, beer, we're having white wine. Which is great because I can't remember the last time I had some white wine.
1: Yeah, I'm a classy lady. <laughs>
0: <laughs> classy office that stocks white wine.
1: I know. So I've got some interesting stories about this office, actually.
0: Okay, um, let's hear them.
1: So I'm, I'm embarrassed because I always forget the name. You know the guy who tried to kill Hitler by putting a bomb in his office? He was a general.
0: Oh, this is escalating fast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't mention the
0: war. Uh, no, he the, was a briefcase. Bomb. He was an
1: army general, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was played in the film Valkyrie by Tom Cruise. Hmm?
0: Okay, yeah. yeah.
1: So this guy, his la- his grandson is my landlord
0: of this office. Whoa, okay. Yeah. His grandson?
1: His grandson. Wow. So he, he you know,
0: he that showed actually us around. That's quite an incredible history. Ah, oh, so he showed you around and told you Hey, my grandson tried no, to kill... No,
1: the, yeah. the estate agent told me when the other guy was out of the room and he said he doesn't like to talk ah, about okay. it because people always asking about it. But uh, okay. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, wow,
0: that's actually... Yeah, that's kind of staggering.
1: Yeah. yeah. And before us, this was um, inhabited by the former mayor of Hamburg. Okay. So we had a mayor living here and also the CEO of uh, Die Zeit magazine
0: ah, yeah.
1: was also living here. So it's... Okay. Um, so Quite you a have nice a pretty premises.
0: prestigious history to, to follow up on.
1: We do. Now yeah. we're going to have to day, become a day, legendary company. One day, be a,
0: a, a landlord showing somebody around. You know, this used to be the office of, of t Dispatch, the great company that...
1: Brydie Cooper herself stood <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah,
0: defeated Uber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I would love to find out some more about you yourself and what, like, how you came like how on earth you kind of came into the, the industry that you're in now, because yeah. uh, I don't think it was, at least I'm guessing it wasn't a random decision, but. Yeah, you, I'm,
1: uh, I'm not a typical founder. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't go to business school. Actually, I studied creative writing hmm. at uni. Okay. So if you read my CV, it, it doesn't really ring true, but it, it uh, is. I didn't
0: read your CV, just So, <laughs>
1: um, so in my background, From the age of 16, I guess I had an entrepreneurial spirit um, without knowing it.
0: How did that manifest itself?
1: I wanted to be a professional singer, so I went out. Well, I saved up money. I went out and bought all of the PA sound system and equipment, got myself an agent and started gigging from, I think I was just about to turn 17. When I started doing gigs each weekend in pubs and social clubs and things, because I lived out in the sticks. Um, so essentially I was self-employed and I, I ran my own business, I paid my own taxes I okay. well, filled out the application um, which was always so the least favourite part of the year all,
0: I mean, all completely off your own back you, you started that and Yeah,
1: I okay. did have to have my, my dad or a male friend to drive around with me because of I course. couldn't physically lift the speakers Yeah, it's <laughs> the,
0: the, the parent taxi driver Yeah,
1: thing. but my parents were always very encouraging of whatever I wanted okay. to do so that was nice without okay. being pushy, you know because yeah. um, my, I didn't come from a musical family um, actually my grandfather was a singer mm. but neither of my parents Okay. Um,
0: so he had some genes there, but maybe not. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My, my granddad was a singer. His stage name was Johnny Miller, but okay. his real name was Reginald Thrush.
0: Wow. <laughs> <was that> <laughs> <big> stage name. <laughs> That's a better stage name. <laughs> okay. So you, you started doing your own thing, and I guess that was part of. Um, the, the way for you to channel your kind of self-starting...
1: Yeah, nature. I mean, I didn't even think of it at the time. It was just a means to an end. I was like, I want to be a singer, therefore I'm going to enable it by doing this, yeah. by, you know, opening, registering and self-employed. and yeah. Um, So, yeah, I did that actually for about seven years. Okay. Um, and, of course, alongside I was studying, um, I went to college, and then um, I started doing some kind of part-time jobs just to fill the days mm. so you know from bar work to uh, even being an Avon lady you know Avon the makeup
0: yeah those yeah. ladies are go sure going knock on your door nobody outside of the UK knows because no. British no
1: uh, well basically it's a door-to-door makeup and
0: yeah. like we we used to have visits from the Avon lady when I was younger and, um,
1: yeah that's also quite entrepreneurial because again you're self-employed mm. and you have to build up your own customer base yeah and um, you have to manage kind of orders and deliveries and payments and I think that was also quite a good yeah. Um, lesson to, into running a small business. Um, mm-hmm. So I did that for a little while and uh, then my first proper job, let's say, I was 22, 23 mm-hmm. um, and I, I started working in the city for a company called The Business Club. Um, and that was my first foray into actually dealing with small to medium enterprises, which today many would be called startups. Okay. Um, okay. That wasn't really the lingo so much.
0: No. I mean, no. Uh,
1: yeah, startups have been around since, what, like the 90s, but yep. really, it's only Not really... By name. The it's last five years boomed, Yeah, okay. I think. Um, and yeah, I was just working there as a customer services executive, but we were just connecting members to each other and starting networking events where they could promote their services to each other.
0: Okay. And were you still singing at this time? Or? I
1: was, yeah. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. So... That was the end, like I finished That was the end. I finished singing when I moved from Peterborough, this city where I was working, to London. Okay. And then I would sing occasionally, but I wasn't doing it for a job anymore.
0: Mm. Was that a choice that you just made, or...?
1: Yeah, partly. I mean, because I'd always wanted to move to London, it was kind of singing Singing you needed to invest quite a lot of time into. And now my time has to be invested into making money, because London's expensive,
0: yep.
1: um, and I didn't have the luxury of, you know, living at my parents or, you know.
0: Yeah, of doing course. these
1: little bar part-time jobs anymore. Yeah. So when I moved to London um, at 23, I then started working for a company called Bartercard, which is an, an international business trade exchange. It's a, it's a really cool concept, actually. I think they're still going. Um, where, say, if I'm a publisher's and you're an event venue, sure, I could have my party in your venue, and then you could use my publishing services. Um, okay. And it's a trade-off rather than any money exchanging hands. Oh, so okay. there was a huge network of, of memberships. Again, we're working with kind of small small to medium business memberships.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and yeah, would, we would kind of look for connections where we could trade them off against each other.
0: Okay. That's strange. It's, it's something that I don't see a lot of right now, but there's maybe a potential there to, to do something around like trading. I don't know. Everybody seems to want to like uh, kind of... Us for money for, for goods or services right now, but mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not something you see at all that, that where there is more of a trade that, that takes place.
1: Yeah, I think it has to be in small businesses though. I can't imagine like yeah. O2 or Vodafone turning around and going, oh yeah, you can use this for free if you give me some of your paper for my office. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true, but like, even, even like kind of peer-to-peer trading... Mm. I mean, I'm sure there are platforms out there that are doing it. I would be surprised if there weren't. Um,
1: Yeah, there are. I mean, it's like the whole concept of Burning Man Festival.
0: Yeah, exactly. You just have to,
1: no money will pass you
0: Have you been to Burning Man?
1: No, I have not. I think I could only do that when Tea Dispatch is big and successful and running itself. Yeah. Um, Because I think, even though it's only a week, I think it takes longer to recover or...
0: Yeah, well, judging by the photos, I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Yeah. I think yeah. you have to really take a month out just yeah. to have the build up and then yeah. the, the whole come thing back to real life afterwards.
0: Yeah. It, it seems completely insane to me and, and when I look at the at the photos every year, I think that looks completely insane to me, but I wish mm. I was there.
1: Yeah. I mean, apparently <laughs> it's quite mentally and physically gruelling because it's so different to what you're yeah. used to and you're in the middle of a desert. Yeah.
0: Um, I would just be concerned of... Dehydration. I uh, mean, this—that's probably yeah. like a really boring thing to say, but
1: no. I was speaking to—I <laughs> was speaking about this the other day to a nice girl um, who works in PR in Berlin, mm. and she, they actually ran out of water because at the beginning they were just like, "Yeah, I get loads of beer and a few bottles of water," yeah. And by the end, they were having to exchange their beer for water because yeah. they'd run out.
0: And that's the thing, like, there is nothing there apart from what you take, really. So mm. you can run out of water, and you—you you can run out. Of- yeah.
1: I mean, I think if people were dropping dead, then the organising would ship yeah, in yeah. some more. Okay, okay,
0: But from from what I've heard, it, it sounds like the police have tried to, to shut it down several times and I think there was a bunch of controversy this year about people uh, I, I don't know, I saw some some noise on Twitter about the police being there and taking mm. people away. I don't know, yeah. I think they had some floods actually this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Um, which seems completely crazy but...
1: Yeah, they they had to not open on the first day. Yeah. yeah. Um, and send everyone away. Mm. Because of course, it's just dusty, dusty ground, so it just all turn into sludge.
0: Yeah. Yummy. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a world away from the likes of, of Glastonbury, which, well those guys are used to flooding, I guess, in the UK. Yeah, I think you go to Glastonbury
1: expecting it, you know.
0: Yeah. You have yeah, to get your wellies. Yeah. Have you done any festivals here in, in Berlin?
1: Not in or, Berlin, in Germany, no. Or? No, I went back to England for two festivals, which, funnily enough, are both in a little town called Market Harbour. Both of them happen to be there.
0: Okay. I've heard of it. Yeah. it's kind
1: of. Uh, I think it's Leicestershire. No, I could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> don't quote me on that. Some,
0: some sheer, Shire.
1: Yeah. One of the Shires. Shire. Um, so I went to one called Shambhala. Okay. Which is quite a hippie festival, but it's great because it's got lots and lots of different styles of music as well as like arts and crafts and things, and a magical mm. woods. So okay. that was really nice. Nice. Um, and the other one is a teeny tiny one called Lubstock, which is only about 500 people. Okay. Yeah, really small, but um, I sang there actually. I did a jazz set.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: and my friend Lucinda, she's got a little band called Lucinda and the Fox. Free plug. <laughs> 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 uh, no, that she's been singing there for the last five years, so we always go. It's okay. been running for six years, I think. But it, it's oh, it's just so beautiful. It's next mm-hmm. to a lake with a little woods and.
0: I think I think there's some really special festivals actually in the UK, and it's often the smaller ones.
1: Yeah, I, I don't I don't have any desires to go to the big ones like Glastonbury. No. You were just. I, get lost and spend hours looking for your tent yeah yeah
0: for, for me there's some there's a lot of value in that huge sense of of awesomeness that you get from a from a massive stage and everybody being kind of together with the music and mm, yeah but to me it's like a completely separate thing to those small like community type festivals that you get yeah
1: it's a completely different vibe yeah. i mean this one for example just feels more like a big party in your back garden
0: yeah yeah that's true um, cool. So I, I totally interrupted you there, and I think. Oh, I'm you good at going talking. off on tangents. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing is just going to turn into one big tangent. But so
1: I guess we didn't get in, any closer into establishing how I got into transport yeah, technology. Yeah. Okay. So
0: you're in London now. I'm you're in still London singing now. Singing a bit, but you you're, you're yeah. in business.
1: Singing here and there, um, and unfortunately, after a few months, um, Bardecard closed down the London office, so all of us got made redundant. Ouch. Um, Yeah, I was not expecting redundancy at the age of 23, but as it goes. Um, So I just started looking for another job online Mm -hmm. and I applied for one job as a writer because I studied English language and literature at college, but I hadn't actually been to uni yet at this Mm -hmm. point because I was doing my singing thing. Um, And yeah, so it was basically just like a website who needed copywriters and because SEO was booming, um, they needed a lot of fresh original content. So I I, I started working for this small agency to do that. Um, And the um, tech guy was working alongside me um, and he was actually building the websites. So after about one year working together, he he approached me and said, you know, I want to start my own business and be my own boss. Um, We can still keep this agency as a client rather than an an employer. did I want to do it with him? Because he wasn't so much with the social skills and the management. Uh, mm. So I was like, yeah, I can do that. I hadn't been a manager before, but we actually, that was the web agency that we went on to open called Moshi Limited. Um, and we went we went on to grow to 10 people. And then we had a handful of clients where we would do everything from the web design and development to SEO and, and copywriting. Mm. Um, and we just kind of had a handful of clients which was enough to tick, you know, tick over, but wasn't massively profitable. Mm. Um, and a couple of those clients were, well, one was a, a taxi company and one was a rickshaw company. Ah, and I'm starting
0: to see the connection. The, yeah. Here
1: comes the trend. <laughs> so first of all, I got used to working in a team with um, software developers. Yeah. Um, you know, so we had like the front end and the back end developers and web designer, um, and then I was running a small copywriting team as well there. Um, so I, I kind of slipped more into the
0: managerial role. Was that really the first time you were working with like software development?
1: Yeah it was okay. yeah so that I, I was really non-technical before that sure um, you know I'm still not a programmer but I um, I've got a, a very good understanding now of you know the, the software architecture and the languages used and mm. um, the setup of the databases and so, so I can even do a tiny do bit you, of HTML I was going to ask
0: do you, do you write any code at all in, in your
1: only, only HTML if I'm publishing blog posts or something yeah um, then I'll, I'll do it for that some so.
0: CSS as well if, if something's broken
1: uh, no 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 I don't mm. do that or, I mean, yeah, I can, I can Google it. Sometimes I Google yeah. like, oh, how do I do this?
0: It's surprising how far you can get actually by doing that. Oh yeah. By, by Googling it.
1: Yeah. I think you can teach yourself if you really want to. Yeah. But there's other skills that I'd like to develop into more. So yeah. So my, my background while I was working in London, that whole, um, five years that I was living there, um, I was doing copywriting f- predominantly for websites for SEO. I did a little bit of it freelance as well for mm-hmm. some other websites. Um, and that's really where my great love was and my boss at the old company. Um, sponsored my degree. So he actually paid for me to go to night school to do mm. creative writing,
0: wow. which was okay. pretty awesome. Good yeah. perk of the nice job. Nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: And so there was the thread, you know. I, um, the last, say, three years in London, I was working closely with web developers, um, programming websites and writing content for websites and, and also managing a team of 10. Mm. Um, and then it was me, uh, the one guy that left the company, to start it. And also, um, the third guy, Mario, our CTO, he was a freelance developer for us and we had flown him over from Brazil to London. Um, and we asked him to, to found the company with us.
0: Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So would you say that, I mean, looking back at at the whole picture that, uh, I mean, do you think your background and and, uh, the difference between somebody who's just maybe grown up, gone straight to college, been to business school, done a computer science degree or something, do, would you th- would you say that you have some, at least some kind of uh, advantage over or benefit over those guys? Um,
1: in the right mix, definitely. Okay. I would not recommend having three of me to run a company, <laughs> okay. to found a company, uh, because there would definitely be gaps in, in the skill set. Mm. But I do very easily fill the gaps in a technical guy's skill set, um, which is very much in terms of marketing and communication and PR. Um, and, well... It, sales goes into everything. It's not just selling to your clients, but selling your concept to investors. And yeah. um, that's, that's all been my part. So I've been in, well, in the first year of the company, before we grew to, to having more staff, I was doing everything that wasn't programming. So, I mean, the, the two co-founders were basically um, um, CTO and, and product, mm. um, chief product. So I was doing the, the sales, the marketing, the admin, the fundraising and the investment management and
0: yeah. all of it. And I, and I guess as a founder, you're you're constantly, in some way, selling your, your products, right? Whether yeah. It doesn't matter who it's to. You're, you're, you're
1: always pitching. Yeah, exactly. I've just done... The last two weeks have been quite eventful. I went to Web Summit in Dublin last week, mm. where we were pitching, actually. And the week before, I went to Pioneers Festival in Vienna. And it was exhausting, because you're literally pitching all day. Yeah. Like, from 9 a.m. until whenever the latest party ends. Yeah. then they party quite a lot in the evenings in Dublin especially. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, so (laughs) normally till about 4am or something and it's just the whole time whoever you're talking to, whether it's another startup or... Um, an investor or a journalist—you're just pitching nonstop, mm. and you have to know how to. It, it's a bit difficult because T-Dispatch is not a consumer-facing product, and it's yeah. you know if you don't know about the industry, it's not that easy to grasp. Like if yeah. I asked you what's dispatch software, you probably don't have a clue. Yeah, um,
0: I think that's tough in, in a world where you know everyone's going crazy for for kind of uh, consumer apps and mm-hmm. and and similar things. Like, how do you get exposure for something that is not? seen as so sort of relevant to everybody here. Um, is, is it really that there is a different bubble and, and you just have to find the right audience yeah. for that? Or? Yeah,
1: certainly. I mean, for us, this is why the Uber explosion is great for us because it's actually in the mainstream news every day, mm. um, which has really you know shone a light onto our industry and what we're doing um, and what goes on actually behind the scenes. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, for us, we're interesting to... So in terms of investors, anyone that's interested in like software as a service or logistics, um, and, yeah, to to the end consumers, they don't really need to know about us. But it's for us, it's either the drivers, but predominantly the, the managers of the fleets. So if you own a company that does any kind of... It doesn't... Well, like I said, we're going into other verticals now. So not just taxis, minicabs, limos. But, you know, if you're doing, for example, food deliveries or you've got a man and van service or... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're a courier. Yeah. As long as there's a kind of, I need to get this from A to B, whether it's a person or a pizza, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. And how do you reach those guys? Like how? How do you? We've been them and...
1: very fortunate in okay. that there was such a huge need for what we had in the industry, because mm-hmm. um, we were the we were the first cloud-based dispatch system um, on the market. Um, that actually they come to us. We we don't do any outbound sales at all.
0: What? Well, that's actually really big that you were the first. Cloud-based dispatchers.
1: Oh yeah, I should have said that at the start. We were the first I mean, cloud-based dispatchers. on the
0: front page of your site, right? It's kind of
1: we were the original. It's, it's yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's one other company from Ireland who launched in the same uh, same time as us, mm. called iCabby. Um <laughs> iCabby. <laughs> so it's, it's difficult to say who started developing first or who had the idea sure, first, but sure. um, uh, yeah. But now there's quite a few more copycat companies, which is always flattering. Um, But because there's such a huge need in the market, because nothing like this existed before. So the scenario is basically, take the UK, where I've got the best industry knowledge, because Mm. that's where I'm from. Mm. Um, Over 80% of the minicab or taxi fleets in in the country have less than 20 drivers. Now, if you have less than okay. 20 drivers, you cannot afford the investment of a hardware dispatch system because you'd normally be paying at least £10,000 to set it up. You have to buy all yeah. of the hardware, you have to have it installed on site, and then you're paying a couple of thousand a month to run it. Mm. So it just simply wasn't a feasible business expense mm. for these small fleets. Um, and by putting it into the cloud and actually launching it as a software as a service, they could suddenly afford you know yeah. this technology that they never could before. They had access to it. Yeah. Um, and because with our model, we were charging um, per driver per month, um, £16. Okay. Yeah, I think it was 15 to begin with. But um, yeah, I mean, even if you've just got two drivers, yeah. you can pay 30 quid a month and
0: have yeah. like
1: instant um,
0: setup. up. And the, and the whole thing then suddenly becomes quite attractive for the small guys who Absolutely. Uh, can see... I mean, this, no this was like the,
1: the low-hanging fruit, you know. All of these guys... Yep. It's not that we were trying to replace an old system that they had. They didn't have any system. Yep. So anything was better than nothing. And, you know, suddenly they had the option to get really new technology. Yeah. So, yeah. We, it, when we first went into the market, we were really targeting those small fleets. Um, and, and now that we're, we have more of a, a reputation in the industry, we can finally start approaching the bigger guys of, mm. you know, several hundred vehicles.
0: Mm. Are there any guys that... Uh, kind of re-owning that space like I mean like mm. I said I have no knowledge of no not yet but
1: no it's it's still it's still early days and there's there's maybe three other key players in our space mm. the good thing is that all of them seem to focus very much solely on taxis mm. um so there, there's one called taxi startup who again they do a dispatch system they do white label apps and they do driver apps mm. so same thing really um we actually called them up the other day pretending to be a prospective client nice <laughs> and we Good had a look friend. at their system and it's very very similar to ours ah, okay um like I said iCabby have been out as long as us and um there's a couple of new ones that have come up like taxi mobility and mm. um dispatch and go yeah so it's, it's becoming a more crowded space now okay yeah
0: cool um on a completely different subject uh it would be cool to talk a bit about kind of how, how you guys work here and how you specifically work. Uh, are there any products that, that are really key for you in your like daily workflow? So if you mm. wake up in the morning, what's the, what's the first thing that you would check? Or do you...
1: Unfortunately, you, my you, email's on my iPhone. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Fine. I guess that's kind of a given. But um, so I'm a geek and, and I, I'm you know, I, I use apps to to manage everything from, uh, like, my, my daily goals that I'm trying to achieve in terms of not drinking any alcohol, for example, or... <laughs> Good job. Yeah, <laughs> I, I failed that one today. Um, but yeah, are you kind of a traditionalist in that you you manage your workflow? Is it all in your head, or...?
1: I'm... I'm um, a scruffy writer. I've got post-its okay. and notepads ah, you're a post-it everywhere. Person. Okay. Yeah, and it's really not ideal because <laughs> my my old PA when she was working here, like I would be on the phone and I'm like I need something to write on and I'll just grab whatever's nearest to start writing on it. And mm. she was like, No, don't write on that. I'm sending that to someone. And I was like, Whoops. Um, so I, I like to have a pen and paper, which is a little bit ironic considering I'm running a, a tech company. Um, yeah, but, but I, we, I see
0: that all the time. That. There's really a split between the the guys who who use. They always want to try out the latest thing to manage their workflow and their process and mm-hmm. it, Whether it's like getting things done. Yeah, type I think the the else. dev team
1: are much more into that than, than sure. me personally. So I mean, obviously they use GitHub for um, managing yeah. their code. Um, we used to use Basecamp, which was quite a nice tool. Um, okay. We don't anymore, just because people didn't really rely on it they weren't yeah. they weren't using it so much i think
0: i think basecamp are, are being attacked at the moment from all angles there are a lot of young mm. startups who are trying to take a chunk of their business actually it's quite interesting and you know, you have now um, messaging apps like Slack that a lot of development teams use to communicate mm. rather than like these big project management tools.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, obviously our, um, our product manager, she's, she's normally the one trying out new tools and seeing what catches on. Yeah. Um, so we were using Kanban flow for a little while and then that got scrapped. And yeah. the one she's using now, I can't remember the name of it, but a lot of developers hate it actually. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. it's one of the big ones. But yeah. Um, yeah, and then the sales guys just use base CRM. Okay. I don't think we're quite big enough to need Salesforce yet, but uh, yeah. I like Base because they're a startup too, and I've seen it grow yeah. and improve so much in the in the two years that we've been using it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think when a tool like that can actually be enjoyable to use, it's kind of saying something. When it when it's a, it's such a kind of business focused tool in the first place that mm-hmm. you, um, yeah, if they get to a stage where they really have buy in from from the employees of the companies that are using it, then it's a really strong position to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Well, I mean, the thing that I use mostly on a day-to-day basis is just Google Drive. Okay. I do all of my writing in Google Drive. So
0: everything for you is in Google.
1: Yeah. I did recently have to um, uh, get PowerPoint (laughs) (laughs)
0: because I
1: I had avoided Microsoft Office for quite a long time, actually. as we will do. But there's quite a lot of investors and like if you're going to pitch at a conference or something, they need it in the specific formats. Yeah. Um they they want it in PowerPoint.
0: Okay. So Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's it's the kind of thing that makes you cringe a little bit when when you send a document to somebody and the and they send a reply like you send it as a PDF for example. Mm. And they're like, Oh can you send this as a word doc? And I'm like, <laughs> Really? Well, yeah, wait, wait, I have sorry. that sorry. Why, why would you need that sent as a word? Yeah.
1: One of our investors is quite traditional and they insist on Microsoft Office. Yeah. For example, if we're doing revisions to um, a, a loan agreement or something like this, mm. I'm like, well surely Google Drive is great because you can see what it other's. You know, you can all work sure. on a document at the same time rather than yeah. having to save a, a gazillion different versions. Yeah, And the last investment round that we did Oh, there was so much paperwork and there were so many revisions that we just all got completely lost and mm. you know we didn't have all the same format of of how we title it so some of them would have initials and some of them would have the date and some of them were numbered versions and I was, Yeah, it was just yeah, yeah. it was okay. crazy
0: oh, that's interesting so um do you have are you also big in in social media do you guys have a big social media presence? Or Um, is that not something that's so relevant for you?
1: We have a presence. I wouldn't say it's a huge one. I think that's definitely more important for B2C companies. Um, of course, you have to have an online presence because that's the first place that people will look. Hmm. Um, so yeah, we do have a Google and a Twitter and a Facebook yeah. profile, and we do update them regularly. But generally, we're kind of just posting articles that are relevant to the industry and, and commenting on those.
0: Okay. Um, Would you say that for even for B two B, it's coming becoming more relevant to, it is to do that?
1: But I think in specific industries,
0: especially. Okay.
1: Um, so, I think you have to look at your user group. Um, so, for example. The guys who are running uh, taxi companies are generally, it's it's quite an old profession, you know? So there's a lot of more traditional, Mm. um, less technical-minded people. Um, Whereas if you were running a software business, it's probably gonna attract a lot more young techie guys who use social media more. So yeah, I think you just have to look at your client base and what age group they are.
0: Mm. Are there any guys that that kind of look at your product and it kind of, for them it's like an instant kind of no I'm scared of this what what are you trying to do to um
1: it's trip? happening less now in the beginning certainly mm. um, because our product looks completely different to the the old hardware dispatch systems the old hardware dispatch systems were really ugly <laughs> it's yeah, like um, to
0: me the term hardware dispatch system sounds kind of scary and archaic in the first yeah. place yeah
1: it is, but they would have like very, very crowded screens of kind of very like 90s windows looking.
0: Okay. Yeah. This is awesome. So uh, I don't even, I'm, I'm bu- when you say hardware dispatch system, I'm building up a picture of like some like proprietary hardware with, with screens that, you know, these companies have to buy this big thing and a guy comes and yeah. delivers it and, and, and spends have... about a week integrating it for them. Yeah. Is that really how it was? That is. It is. They would
1: even stuff? have the service. On site, so okay. they would basically. I went to visit one big fleet in uh, in Leeds, and they have about eight hundred drivers. So that was kind of you know seeing how the business is done, yeah. and spending some time there just for research. And they had a whole cupboard room that was full of servers, towers, um, and yeah, that you know each each dispatcher or phone operator has has their own screen, um, which has of course a big computer. <laughs> is tower it like there.
0: a massive CRT screen with?
1: Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Pretty okay. much and um, of course the drivers you would have seen in the old taxis would have this big box where they receive their jobs it's called a PDA yeah Um, PDA yeah and they also I mean they cost about 8,000 just for one of those boxes so imagine if you've got a fleet of 20 drivers Mm
0: 8,000 okay
1: and that's why normally (laughs) um, taxis will rent the hardware to the drivers so how it used to work in the taxi industry and still does a lot like actually so we actually work not so much with taxis but more with private hire a minicab because they're managed normally by a fleet whereas taxi drivers are often in independent. Okay. Um, um but yeah they they would normally pay a rent to the dispatcher mm. and they would rent either the car and the hardware or just the hardware. Yeah. Um and then they get to keep their fares. Whereas now a lot of taxi companies are changing to the model where they're actually charging per booking because it's become the standard okay. from from things like MyTaxi. Yeah. Um Actually, my taxi are an interesting case study. Um, obviously, we know them, and they know us. They're also a German company. Um, okay. So we we've been talk We're not live in Germany yet with T Dispatch. We've got clients okay. in every continent, actually.
0: Well, it's kind of funny that you're you're based in a country yeah. where you're not live.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, was the language. Uh, of course, all of our products were in English. Yeah. Um, now the driver and consumer-facing products are in fifteen different languages. Okay. Um, but the, the back-end dispatch system is still just in English. Hmm. Um but we're doing some pilots with, with some drivers, so we've been asking more about the market here. And interestingly, when my taxi first came out, it was very much pitching itself as a partner of the drivers, um, and they were charging 79 cents per job. That's fair, they sure. spend a lot of money on marketing, they're driving the leads. The only criticism some fleets had was that they were actually taking the same user group of customers and selling them back to the fleets. Okay. So they're like, well, I used to pick Joe Bloggs up at 5 p.m. every Friday, and now I have to pay you to pick him up.
0: Sure.
1: <laughs> so okay. that's the one criticism they have. But anyway, I still think it's a fair model. It's a good model. Yep. Um, unfortunately, earlier this year, they decided to change their model to a more investor-friendly way. Right. Um, and now the drivers have to bid a portion of their fare um, without knowing how much the total fare will be, because you only have the pickup. Okay. Um, and they, when they first launched it, they said the driver had to bid between three and thirty percent of the fare okay. to win the job. Right. Of course, the drivers were outraged because that suddenly rocketed the seventy-nine cents up to an average of about two euros mm. per job. Yep. Um, and it pitched them as competition against their neighbor drivers because yep. they're not competitive. They actually are normally quite friendly with each other. Okay.
0: Um. So then you suddenly have this bidding model, which is completely different to, to anything that
1: completely different this was a completely new model now they slashed it because they had such a retaliation and, and hundreds of drivers left immediately um, that they slashed it to 15% max but it's still it's still not a good model and I know as a consumer I use all of the taxi apps of course because I always want to see what's, what's around and how the user experience is yeah. and um, suddenly I found that when I try and book a taxi it's searching for a lot longer because the drivers are bidding against each other ah, okay. and then of course the one that wins isn't necessarily the one that's closest to you so you have to wait three minutes just to confirm a driver and then he's like eight minutes wow. away okay. whereas it used to be they're always going to the closest driver and he accepts yeah, and then yeah. they come
0: so I had no idea so if I as a consumer I'm using uh, my taxi or something and I and I hit a get me a taxi button yeah. What, what happens from that point? I mean,
1: um, so there's a nice bouncy thing on the screen while it's searching, yeah. searching, searching. Yeah. <laughs> um, and before that used to be quite quick, but I must say the last six or seven times I've tried to use it. Actually, I used it last night and it was quick. Okay. So it's still good sometimes. Mm. But there's been many times when I've actually given up and gone to use Taxi EU, which is the app run by the Centrales, the, okay. the Central Dispatch. Okay. Um, so,
0: so when I hit Book a Taxi, what, does that send out an alert to every single taxi driver within a certain radius? Yeah, within the
1: vicinity, that's right. Okay,
0: it. Yeah. and then what? They have the option to to bid on my yeah. business, basically. Yeah, they okay. bid for
1: the job. With that, so they don't know how much the total fare would be. It could be €5, Euros, it could be 50 but they have to say, yeah. okay, I'm willing to give up 10% of my fare. Okay. Uh, and then they'll see what the average bid is from the others and then they can increase it or, to, you know. Okay,
0: and that all happens in real time and then eventually the user gets back okay. the... The winning bidder as, yeah. a, as a fit.
1: I w- it would be interesting. They could actually add an algorithm like eBay uses. Mm. So you know when you bid for an item on eBay, you mm. bid a real amount, but you have a maximum bid that you're willing to go up to. Sure. And then it just does the bidding for you. Yeah. If they said it like that, then that would be much faster, I think.
0: Uh, to, to kind of automate the bidding process. Yeah. As a driver, you could say...
1: But I think maybe because it's too limited, like, of course, all of them will be like, well, I don't want to miss out on jobs, so I'll put 15% always as my maximum. Okay. And then... Yeah. We'll just be like bidding, 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 it up.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But that's not what you guys do with, with, like you don't have that model built into your system. No. No. No.
1: So we're actually launching a new pricing model soon. Um, we've tried a few different pricing models since we first started. In the beginning, we were doing kind of groups. So if you had one to five drivers, you paid this amount. And if you had five to 20 drivers, you paid this amount a month. Um, but then uh, we were getting complaints of saying like, oh, I've only got one more driver than him and I'm paying double. Um, so we actually split it down to a per driver per month fee. So okay. you only pay exactly for what you use. Um, and that model works really well for most people because obviously you can, uh, we do reduce the prices as the fleets get bigger. So it's kind of staggered tiers. Mm. Um, but... A lot of people kept saying to us, can we do a model where we pay per booking? And we always said no in the beginning, because we're not a lead generation company. Sure. So we're like, it's not, for example, if you were using Salesforce, this mm. is the tool that you use to manage your business, but yeah. it doesn't generate sales leads for you. That's okay. your job. Yeah. Um, so it was the same thing with us. You know? We're like, well, we, we have a platform that allows you to run your business and you yeah. can receive jobs from multiple different booking channels, but we don't generate the jobs for you. No. So it doesn't make sense for us to charge you. Per you're job you're
0: really just an enabler like a techno- yeah, tech platform to, exactly. like, to, to handle that stuff
1: but we got the request so often and of course people are getting round to this way of thinking because of Uber and because of MyTaxi they, mm. they're getting used to paying per job mm. um, and actually we decided to offer this as an alternative but with a minimum of 200 bookings per month so they couldn't just you know pay a really small amount Um, because what a lot of people are doing is they want to run an Uber style model where they might have a city where they have a very good network of private drivers already Mm -hmm. um, and they want an app that will kind of unite them so it's doing exactly what Uber's doing on a smaller scale and for that reason they were saying well look I might work with 100 drivers but I'm only sending them one job every few days Mm -hmm. each because they're self-employed so I don't want to pay for 100 drivers a month and you know that absolutely makes sense Okay, yeah
0: do you see it is that like a trending thing now that people are trying to replicate the uber model on a smaller scale
1: oh god yes um until recently i was still working quite a lot on the phones like with um with sales mm-hmm. and pretty much on a daily basis someone would have this great idea that they were going to be the next uber yeah um and it's amazing that <laughs> i don't think people realize the amount of money that's gone into Uber I mean yes they have excellent technology excellent UI and UX mm. um, and of course a huge marketing budget yeah. and so quite often fleets will come to us and they'll be like I want an app just like Ubers and I'm like well that's great but you're going to need to pay us more than a few hundred quid in that case
0: <laughs> yeah exactly um, do you I mean what's the, do you think Uber realistically will will kind of win this war against the the kind of traditional cab companies that they're really fighting now. So, for example, in Germany, the or at least here in, in Berlin, they're operating on a some crazy low fee basis just so they can work around a, yeah. a law that is imposed upon them. Like,
1: yeah, um, how do you
0: see that turning out in, in the end of the day?
1: I think Uber will get a very decent market share, and some businesses will suffer. And they already have, um, but I don't think they'll ever have 100% of the market. Um, there's lots and lots of extraneous factors. So, for example, um, transporting like the elderly and disabled they have special requirements for vehicles or yeah. um, they're, they're definitely more a, a B2C platform. Like if, if you're a business, mm. um, I think it's less tailored because because each Uber driver works for himself and they're not actually a qualified driver. They're just, you know, a guy with a nice car. Um, it's fine for consumers, but if you're if you've got high-level business requirements, then you need a managed service that's quality assured. Okay. Um, and I think that side you're always going to need the the traditional managed fleets. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, it's interesting, and I think definitely over the next six months to a year there's there's a lot of potential for things to change that quite quickly so
1: yeah yeah Must be i a mean pretty
0: cool space to be in and and you guys were around really before this even started to to blow up which is
1: yeah i mean uber was actually founded in 2009 so they're a little bit older than us but i didn't hear of them until 2013 yeah yeah and okay. then they were pretty quiet still until the last year yeah yeah
0: so and it exploded was, was that, i guess like pure luck that that you just happen to be in a, in a space that, that right now is, is super relevant and is, is yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, like I said, in the UK, we were the first, um, we were the first even virtual fleet booking platform with our website, TikTok taxi. Mm -hmm. There was no taxi apps existing at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. and a, a lot of their models were a copy of TikTok taxi that went on to be very successful. So I still think that was a great, Business concepts, and it was. Yeah. It was my ex co founder's concept, actually. Okay. And um, he, uh, yeah, he really kind of saw a need in the market and filled it. And that's when you get a really successful startup. Because yeah. I think what a lot of startups try and do now is people are like, okay, I want to run a startup. What can I do? And they end <laughs> up kind of inventing a problem to solve just so yeah. that they have a cool thing. But this was a real problem. It was a real pain in the market. Yeah. Um, you know, there were so many small fleets that were still in 2011, still using pen and paper to take down booking orders yeah. and then radioing to the driver and that leaves so much room for error Yeah, so much room for error um,
0: yeah and it must be kind of pretty fulfilling to be working on something that is based on real world needs and you know yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, it, you know, we're not saving the world, <laughs> but we're doing something relevant yeah. that actually helps people in their day-to-day yeah. lives. But it's,
0: you know, it's not just another B2C social...
1: Yeah, interaction. exactly. But again, Platform. that that puts more pressure on us as well because you mm-hmm. know if we get a bug in the system or if God forbid the server goes down or something like that, yeah, you know it's not just like oh I was playing just a game on my app and it's frozen. Just it's like
0: crash or yeah, stop moving.
1: They lose money the second that we don't work. Yeah. So as a B two B service, you have to take on that responsibility that people's livelihoods are dependent on us. Yeah. And that's I'm you know, sure you
0: have some crazy stories about that as well, but oh, I'm not going to ask go into you that. about that. <laughs> Okay. So, um, yeah, we should probably wrap it up cause, um, uh, cause the,
1: cause the wine's been, nearly gone. Cause the
0: wine is nearly finished. But, <laughs> so if people want to find out more about what you guys do or, or you as a company, I I guess another question is like, are you, are you hiring in the near future? Or? We
1: are, we're hiring. We're growing quite fast now. Cool. Um, at the moment we've got quite a few positions open in the tech team. So everything from, you know, like, um, lead developer roles to quality assurance, um, so yeah, that's definitely worth looking into. Okay. And of course, the sales team will scale uh, as as the demand grows. Okay. Yeah.
0: And and where can people go if they wanna if they wanna look more into it and find out?
1: Uh, website, of course, www.tdispatch.com. Cool. Yeah.
0: Sounds good. Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks. It's been really good to chat to you. You too. And, thank uh, you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for the for the white wine shoulder which is a welcome difference to beer. So. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Just a reminder that you can get all of the notes from this episode on berlinstartupradio.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast there as well. And as always, give me a shout on Twitter. My username is Mr. Ed. That's M R underscore E D. Thanks a ton for listening. You're awesome. See you in the next one.